There is a book that's worthy of your trust. I'm holding it in my hand. You trust this book? You believe what it says? I want to share this morning how you can trust this book in a special way and and where we are along our journey as Christians in America. You know, Jesus told a number of parables, and parables are stories that are taken from real-life situations, real-life events, and he uses real-life materials when he tells these stories because he wants to connect with people where they are. The goal of my ministry is to connect with you where you are, share the truths of the Bible in a way that you can get it and that you can use it, and you can take it from this place and, and share it with family and friends. One of Jesus' parables is entitled The Parable of Leaven. It's short, Matthew 13, 33, and it goes like this. Another parable, Jesus spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. You know leaven in the sense of yeast. It's the product that would, when added to something will allow it to grow. And that's one way Jesus uses it, but I want to share a different way in which Jesus uses it. He talks about in that parable the kingdom of heaven, and it's the kingdom presented over three dozen times in the book of Matthew alone. And it's likened to things physical. The kingdom of heaven is likened to things physical, material. He talks about it in light of seeds, wheat, harvest, treasure, pearls. Why? Why does Jesus link the kingdom of heaven with these material things? Because in Matthew 13, Jesus teaches that the kingdom of heaven is the literal, physical, visible kingdom that God promised the Jewish people one day would be present on earth. So when Jesus came, they were looking for the Jesus, the Christ, who was going to set up his kingdom. It would be a militant thing. It would be something that would take the, the, the boot of Rome off the necks of the people. And he didn't deliver that. He delivered something else that we're going to share in a moment. Establish on earth the good promises of God will one day he will deliver. The day is coming when God's going to keep this promise of a physical, literal, material kingdom being put on this earth. We will call it, for the sake of being shorthand this morning, the millennial kingdom. It's a kingdom of a thousand years that's coming in the future. This is a promise that God will keep. In Luke 17, the kingdom of God, so we have the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, by contrast, is a spiritual invisible kingdom. Listen to Luke 17, 20, and 21. And when he was demanded of the Jews when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You won't see it. Neither shall it say, here I am. It won't announce itself. For lo, there behold, the kingdom of God is where? Can you read those two last words? Where is the kingdom of God? Within you. You, you, me. The kingdom of God is already here. Right now, we are part of his spiritual kingdom, according to John 3, 3. One day we will reign with him in his earthly kingdom, according to Revelation 26. Right now, you're in his spiritual kingdom, and in the future, whenever that future is, we will reign with him on earth in a physical kingdom. But as we approach that day, Jesus says in Matthew 16, leaven, 
will insinuate its way into the work of the kingdom. Something is here that is disturbing the work of the kingdom. Something is here that is adding a negatively to the work of Jesus Christ on earth. What is it? What is leaven? Leaven, as Jesus uses the word leaven, is false doctrine being taught by false teachers. So if you go through and examine where there's almost there's over 300,000 churches in America that supposedly are preaching the gospel, that ain't the case. But if you would be able to examine those, see how many actually preach from this book, see how many even open this book, Listen to Matthew 16, verses 5 to 12. Let's stand together for that. Matthew 16, verses 5 to 12. As I read what Jesus says about this, he says, And when the disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no we have taken no bread? Which when Jesus perceived, he said to them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of, of the 5,000 and how many baskets were, you took up? Remember when Jesus created a miracle with a few fish and some few loaves of bread, he fed 5,000 and there was overflow. How is it that you not understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood. They how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You may be seated. The Pharisees. Now this was, the Pharisees was the group that, that hated Jesus. This was the one that wanted his life taken. This is, was the one that, that for a while they were content silencing him. But when they couldn't silence him and silence his message and pull the people away from Jesus, they wanted him dead. But they were looking for miracles and signs. In other words, because they wouldn't believe, they said, give me something tangible so I can believe. How many people are there like that today? I won't believe and I can't believe in what I can't see. Well, there's a lot of things you can't see and yet you believe in it. I used, to be, I used to be a nasty little snot and say to people, have you seen your brain? But there's a lot of things we haven't seen and yet we, we by faith believe it's the way it is. But faith is intangible. It's as wrong to propose you can prove there is a God as it is to prove there is no God. The evidence for God is all around us, but he is seen through eyes of faith. What a difference it makes when you believe the book before you open the book and you just read and believe what it says and trust that what you're believing is the truth. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance, there's substance to your faith, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, there is evidence for your faith. One of the principal rules of science is called a scientific method. It means first-hand observation. Theories and facts must be observable. Did you see how life began on earth? Were you here when it happened? In fact, God asked that question of one of the prophets. Were you here when I created the earth and the universe? Of course not. 
Neither did the scientific community. So when they tell you they know how it all started, don't believe them. Did you see the birth of Christ? Did you see his walk? Did you see him walk the streets of Galilee? Did you hear his sermons? Were, were you there when he was, before he was crucified at the trials that he, they held against him? Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? Were you there when he rose from the dead? Well, you weren't there for any of these events. And I believe in my heart of hearts there isn't a person in the room this morning that doesn't believe those things. I trust that you believe that by what? By faith. The things that you have not seen and yet believe, those are even more precious in God's sight. When God said that the just shall live by faith, he meant it. It's by faith we believe or not. And so if you're like the Pharisees looking for something material to, uh, to affirm your beliefs, forget it. If you're looking for Noah's Ark and expect that when they find Noah's Ark, everybody will just drop their knees, drop to their knees and praise the Lord, you can forget that. Those kinds of things don't, don't turn faith, don't turn faith into concrete. Jesus says in verse 6, take heed, beware. The only focus of faith is the living word of God, Jesus Christ and the written word of God, the Bible. So I want you to catch that, okay? When we speak of the, and I was just ready for you to catch it and it disappeared. Okay, we'll catch it in your mind. <laughs> the only focus of faith is the living word of God, that's Jesus, and it's the written word of God, and that's the Bible. So when we read God's word, it is reliable. We can trust it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to take this book and make it real to you. When you ingest and begin to digest God's word, when you meditate upon it, what happens is that the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you its truths. And when you begin to see his truths, it is the ultimate aha, aha learning. When you read God's word and all of a sudden something hits you as true, it's amazing how it opens your eyes to other truths. We find leaven mentioned in Mark 8:15, quote, and he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware at that time of the things that were corrupting the early church. We find that the, the teaching of the Pharisees were that you need faith in Christ plus something else to be saved. There are still groups that believe that. That's not alone, it's, it's Jesus is not alone how you're saved. That it's Jesus plus your attendance in the church, plus your following the teachings, plus this, plus that, and plus the other things. All the extra things you have to do in order to be saved. But our Bible teaches us that we don't have to do anything but to put our faith and trust in the crucified, buried, and risen Jesus Christ, when we believe that he is God's son, when we believe that he is God in, in the flesh, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we will be saved, and nothing can change that. You can't even lose your salvation. And I understand that there are people who believe that. Okay, we can sit down and share scripture together. 
But once God has you in his hands, he's promised never to let you go. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never, never let anything or anybody, including you, take you out of my hands. That's a firm promise from God. So that was the Pharisees. That was their corrupt teaching, that you needed Jesus plus other things. You needed to obey all the Jewish laws. And Herod, beware the leaven of Herod. Herod was a deist. That's somebody who believes in a God away out there someplace, but not a God who is intimately involved in your life. See, we serve the creator of the universe, but he's not a way out there and leaving us to our own. He is with us. He stays with us. He teaches us through the written word how to live our lives, how to draw comfort from our circumstances, how to have hope when there seems to be no reason for hope. This is what the Holy Spirit and the Lord brings to you each and every day. Biblical, biblical Christianity is not a solo. It's a community. We are the body of Christ, and we are dependent upon one another. We need other believers. We need the encouragement of other believers, the prayers of other believers, the giftedness of other believers, and the wisdom of other believers. In short, we need to learn from other believers. I learn from you. You learn from me. We learn together. We share together. We care together. We open up our arms and receive one another together. It's not a solo. It doesn't matter where you are. We need the youth to give us vigor and the seniors to give us experience. There are those who, like Herod, would convince you to do your own thing. You're too busy to watch on live stream or come to the meeting house. You have other priorities on Sunday morning. And there are those who say, keep your spiritual life separate from your everyday life. That is one of the worst, one of the worst things you can be told, that you should compartmentalize Jesus, compartmentalize your spiritual life, compartmentalize what you believe. Just keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody else about it. I've said it probably a thousand times in this pulpit. Jesus does not have secret agents. Your life is out in the open. It's to be lived out in the open for all to see. And when they do, they want to know what it is about you that's so different and why you think the way you think and why you see life through that lens. Take heed and beware of those philosophers that teach all religions are the same. All paths lead to God. The Apostle Paul denounced apostasy. That's a word that means false teaching that were growing in the first century church to leaven because leaven makes bread grow, but, but corrupt teachings also destroy spiritual lives. In the context of the book of Galatians, a group called the Judaizers were teaching that salvation was Jesus plus self-effort plus traditions. And Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, when faced with five teachings, there are three things to remember. Number one, Stand fast. Don't let go of the truth. Don't let them make you waver and shake. This is why we have this discipling, mentoring ministry. We're teaching one another what we believe and why we believe it so we can stand firm. If you haven't, if you haven't digested the truths in this book, if you're not allowing yourself to 
to be uh, in God's word, if you're not, uh, not meditating on it day and night, and I don't mean day and night like all the time, but I mean if you're not a regular visitor to God's word, then you don't have the ammunition within yourself to know the difference between right and wrong. And when you can't tell the difference between truth and untruth when it comes to Bible lessons and Bible teaching, you're, you're on the water by yourself. So stand fast, don't let, don't let go of the truth. And secondly, don't get entangled with the bondage of religion. Religion doesn't save anybody. Becoming a member of the Church of the Brethren does not save anybody. What saves people is putting their faith and trust in Christ, as I've said countless times already. That's the difference. So it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. We've got, thirdly, we've got something better. We don't have a religion. We have a relationship through Christ to God. Now, think about that. Is that, is that better than just, you know, coming to a building and thinking you get saved? My favorite, my favorite expression of that truth is this way. When we had a Jewish group of believers here, and they said believing that, uh, that you can be saved by joining a, a, a religious denomination is like thinking you can go into a bagel store and come out a bagel. I kind of like that. It stuck in my mind. It was very Brooklyn-like. The church in America is at a dangerous junction. The leaven of secularism, materialism, apathy, relative, religious relativism, and false teaching are growing. They're not diminishing. They're growing. You need to understand that. Secularism. What does secularism mean? What does it look like the church is falling into the trap? Secularism because Christians are indistinguishable in the culture from non-believers. We're getting to the point where we think like them. We live like them. Our aspirations are the same like them. We behave like them. Our priorities like theirs. And there's not any difference from those who don't know Christ. This is what's happening to the church. We are losing our potency. We're losing our power to reach people for Christ because when they look at our lives, they say, well, I'm not doing anything different than you're doing. We're just the same. We have the same aspirations, the same goals. You look just like me. Materialism. Because Christians have put success above significance. We're about stuff. Things and money are our priority. Now, of course, I'm not talking about every single person. I'm just speaking in a generalization. Apathy. Because Christians have lost passion for the sense of spiritual urgency and we're too busy to make a commitment to work for Christ. We don't, we don't seem to be concerned about the fact that people are going to hell. This doesn't seem to rouse us. The reality of what Jesus Christ did for us, what his death was like, what he suffered, if you can get that picture back in your mind again of him on the cross, a beaten mass of blood and broken flesh, if you can see that picture in your mind and say to yourself, after all you've done for me, I won't even talk about you. After all you've done for me, I'll just try to live my life like everybody else. After all you've done for me, I don't care if I don't look any different from the people who I know in my life. It was a wonderful song when I was growing up. After all he's done for me, after all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely? 
after all he's done for me. What has he done for you? He laid down his life. Religious relativism. Because Christians have begun to buy into a liberal Christian view that Jesus is not unique, not unique among other gods. Or believing good people who follow their conscience will get to heaven. All religions are the same. All religions are not the same. I've, I've maybe done a half a dozen sermons over my time just demonstrate, not criticizing anybody else's belief, nothing like that, just comparing what do Jehovah Witnesses believe, what Bible-believing Christians believe, what Roman Catholics believe, what the Bible-teaching Christians believe. Just making those comparisons, not knocking, not tearing down, you know, I was raised a Catholic. I am named after a Catholic priest. There are a lot of members of my family who know Jesus Christ as their Savior but remain in the Catholic Church. But when they have questions about the Bible, they call me. False teaching. Just, for, just take, for example, the battle for the Bible. There are those who say it's not the words that are inspired by God, it's the message. You got that? It's not the words, it's the message. But messages are made up of, thank you, of words. There are those who believe that God inspired the Bible but only in the original writings. He didn't preserve those words in the English language. Well, I believe that every word I'm reading here was originally inspired by God, and then he also took good care to preserve the words in this book. I'm not reading something that somebody else wrote, I'm reading something that God wrote in my language, and that seems like a fair proposition. So when the King James Bible, which we use here and believe is complete, and I only believe in it because I believe it's complete, I believe that every word that God said is in there. Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. In the Revised Version, the Revised Standard Version, the RSV says, A young woman shall conceive, which is correct. Was it a virgin who conceived Jesus, or was it a young woman? You have to decide. When the King James Version in Matthew 18, 11 says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost, the RSV says nothing. That verse is taken out. I don't want to be involved with Bibles where words are taken out and verses are taken out. I want them all in there. So, which is correct when you think about these things? And you might say to yourself, so what? So what's the difference in a few words? What's the difference if a verse is missing? It's no big deal. There are, over, there are over 350 new translations out. Pick and choose which one you want. Here's a new one. The World Net Daily wrote the following article on June 24, 2004. Back in 2004, it says this, quote, a brand new translation of the Bible was printed. It was praised by Britain's Archbishop Bishop of Canterbury. It was titled Good as New translated by a former Baptist minister, John Henson, for the One, O-N-E, organization to produce what the, what the group calls a new, fresh, and adventurous translation of the Christian scriptures. Always use the word new. When I was in business and I wanted to promote one of my products, I would use the word free. I would use the word new to get people's attention. Instead of condemning fornication, adultery, 
and those who abuse themselves with one another, the new version of 1 Corinthians 15 has Paul advising Christians not to go without sex for too long in case they get frustrated. And then it says, go get a partner. The one organization that produced this new Bible translation is dedicated to, quote, establishing peace, justice, dignity, and rights for all. It is also focused on sustainable use of the Earth's resources, challenging oppression, injustice, exclusion, and discrimination. What do I need a new translation when I've got this and it protects all of those things? God told us to be good stewards over the planet. He told us to love the earth that he created for us. He told us to love one another despite our differences and our discrepancies. In faith, I believe God wrote a book and preserved that book through the ages. In faith, I believe that it happened because Jesus made us a promise. And that promise is found in Matthew 24, 35. Matthew 24, 35 reads, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. They're here for eternity. So take heed and beware. Leaven is slowly working, but ever working in churches. We must be steadfast and we must stand fast. The times demand no less. Get a sense of urgency about this. Paul reminded Timothy to stand strong in the word, to study and meditate on the word, and allow the Holy Spirit to use what you've studied to keep you growing and to push out the leaven of today's anti-biblical philosophies and worldview. When you do that, you are allowing yourself to grow. You see, your growth as a Christian demands on you being in this book. And if you're going to be in this book, you've got to believe what you read and trust the Lord to use it to advance your faith and grow your faith. Healthy things grow. And you will be a healthier Christian when you go to this, this book and do your exercises. Let's bow our heads in prayer. So this morning, Father, we pray your blessing. We know, Father, there's only one way to salvation. It may, it may not ring well on the ears of those who are not believers, but we understand that it's all inclusive, and it is exclusive. It's inclusive everybody. God is not willing that any should perish, but all will come to faith. And so that's the criteria. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the gates of heaven open wide for us. The arms of Jesus open wide for us. The arms of a Bible-believing congregation open wide to take us in and to help us to grow. And we pray this morning, Father, that we are such a congregation, a congregation that loves, a congregation that cares, a congregation that grows, not necessarily in numbers, although we want that, but grows in depth of understanding of your word. Pray your blessing. Thank you for giving us a book we can trust. In Jesus' name, amen.